Peace to you. Welcome back to the Naked Truth and thank you for joining me. It's a Sunday, so we're going to pick up where we left off in the book of Acts. We've made it to chapter 9. If you want to read along with me, let's begin with verse 1. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. So the narrator here is letting us know the characters of Saul, who eventually will become, have a name changed to Paul. Something thumpers have no problem with. Except for when it comes to trans people changing names, then suddenly it's an issue. So that Saul, that's what we're talking about. Not one of Jesus' disciples, by the way. Not one of the original 12 at all. Never walked with Jesus at all. And he was just introduced in the previous chapter as someone, and even here, threatening the disciples, the followers, the early Christian church, Christians. Verse 2. And asked letters from him to the synagogues, of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether man or women, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So, you see, here's the first time that I can recall where Christianity is being referred to as the way. It's not officially, it's only just now even being referred to as Christianity as far as these being the first Christians, uh, with the disciples taking up the ministry after Jesus has already ascended, as we Christians believe him to have done. So now Christianity is being referred to as the way. Saul is not a part of it. He's fighting against it and looking for basically letters from the government so that he can have freedom to persecute and carry out the death penalty, basically, on anyone who he finds um, worshiping outside of the religion that Jesus was born into. Verse 3, as he journeyed, he came near Damascus and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. So the narrator here, I think it's Luke uh, is the one who's uh, credited with the book of Acts. He's, um, or whoever it is though, the scribe, whoever it is, the narrator, is passing on the message of what's happened next to Paul, or I'm sorry, to Saul, that apparently he's encompassed by light, engulfed by it, verse 4. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, 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 why are you persecuting me? So now, um, before we go on, I'm not sure who's giving the account of this happening to Saul. Because um, as, as, as far as I know, Luke wasn't there with him. Um, so as far as I know, this is Saul's account of what happened to him, that he was surrounded by a light and um, he heard a voice. And you see it switched to red letters. This is the first, these are the first red letters since we got to the book of Acts. And they're red letters, um, meaning they're attributed, quotes attributed to Jesus. But how would Saul know that that's Jesus? Saul wasn't around when Jesus did his ministry at all. He wasn't one of the disciples. How would he know who that's the voice, whose voice that is he's hearing uh, or vision he's seeing? Let's keep reading. Verse 5, and he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So there you see it there again. Saul has no idea who, who Jesus is. So how in the world can he be carrying forth the gospel and the Christian ministry up to this point or after this point? He didn't walk with Jesus. He doesn't know any of the red letters to share them with anybody. And so far, we haven't been given any quotes that um, that he or any of the pro uh, prophets, the disciples are even referring to quotes of Jesus, any of the red letters, 
very scarcely so far. But let's keep reading. Let's see what this all means. He's. It seems to say he's. He's saying according to what we're reading, he's getting a message from Jesus, and Jesus has shown up to him uh, while he's in the, on the road in the desert, and asking Saul why he's persecuting Jesus. That's what. Saul is saying Jesus showed up to ask him. And we know from the gospel, Jesus said, when he comes again, you won't need anyone to say, look here or look there. Everyone's going to know it at once. For indeed, the kingdom of God is within you. And he told the scribes and Pharisees they wouldn't see him again until the time came when they say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Saul is a Pharisee, if I remember right. So that's contradictory. All of these, this what we're reading is contradictory what Jesus said himself most likely it seems to me considering what I remember about the rest of the Bible how there's no more red letters in it till we get to Revelation and how it seems like a whole other religion arises after this seems to me I don't know could be wrong but almost certainly it's the devil who's appeared to Saul giving him these uh, orders and performing the signs Jesus said that after he left pe um, people there would arise people who would perform signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. I think, just my opinion, that's what Saul is a part of. But we'll keep reading. Let's see. Uh, so he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. So now suddenly we're to believe that Jesus is making personal appearances to uh, people who weren't even his disciples, someone who's persecuting the church at this point, uh, who doesn't have any of the red letters, but now he's gotten an appearance from Jesus and instructions on where to go and what to do and who to meet. So we're just reading it. Let's see how it goes from there. Verse 7. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. So now it seems we're getting a little bit clearer picture. So now Saul isn't alone. He's got people with him. And they don't see the vision, uh, but they hear a voice. So, again, this may sound crazy, but he could just be saying he saw the vision. No one else saw it. When the people had visions previously, um, whether it was the talking donkey way back in the Old Testament, or the prison house when the shackles were, uh, when people were released from the shackles and chains they were in. The vision was apparent when the angels showed up after uh, at the grave site when the um, after the crucifixion, the guards saw him and the women saw him. Here suddenly, Saul is seeing it allegedly. They aren't, and they're hearing a voice. But you can make you can throw your voice. I mean, you can use a microphone and throw your voice, which presumably they didn't have back then. But they did have ventriloquists back then. So it sounds crazy, but you can throw your voice. And make it seem like your voice is coming from somewhere, somewhere else without technology. Not saying that's what he was doing, but saying that would explain it. Why only he's seen the vision and getting this message from Jesus whom he'd never met. Um, and uh, a voice being heard, but nothing else being seen except by him. Again, could be wrong, but that would explain it. Verse um, 8. Then Saul arose from the ground. And when his eyes were opened, he saw no one, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. So now he's seen his vision, presumably, at least according to the narrative, 
and in the narrative he's seen his vision and now he's being led into Damascus and again the vision was only apparently according to the narrative only seen by him so you can say you saw a vision and no one else see it and you may have seen one or not so he may or may not have seen a vision God only knows and again the voice could have been thrown so that's possible and then being led by the hands where he's going you can act like you can't see and have someone lead you around it happens all the time there's a, a case where um I don't want to get it wrong, so I won't even go into it. But you can see where people, when they get ready to go to court, they'll stage and coach themselves, coach themselves to um, look a certain way and present their case a certain way. So all of this so far is anything. It could be all theatrics. Might not be, but I mean, it seems to me it would be, since Jesus told us, "Take heed." See, I've told you all things beforehand. Why would he suddenly show up to someone who wasn't a disciple and give them a totally different message and instructions who was persecuting the disciples and helped bring about the first martyr of wasn't a disciple. Uh, he wasn't one of the original disciples. According to the narrative, he was one, Stephen. But let's just keep reading. Verse 9. And he was three days without sight and neither ate nor drank. So again, the part about being without sight, only he knows that. We don't know if someone, whether someone else can see or not. The part about neither eating or drinking, that uh, is harder to fake. If you're not eating or drinking anything, people can see that unless you're sneaking food. And it won't go that far to say he's doing that. But the part about being stricken blind, anybody can fake that. Verse 10, now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him, the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. So now you have another person getting a, a vision and a message, and it's in red letters, so presumably from Jesus, getting called, and by his name, Ananias. And whoever it is is recognizing the voice as the voice of the Lord. Verse 11, so the Lord said to him, arise and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he's praying. So, according to the narrative, uh, the, the of narrator of Acts, um, uh, another person, Ananias, and again, not one of the original 12 disciples, is now being given a message. It's in red letters, so presumably from Jesus. But if he wasn't one of the original 12 disciples, how would he know that was Jesus giving him the message either? He doesn't know. How would he know? And Again, Luke is just the one describing it. So if someone tell if if just putting it all together, if someone goes to him and says, Hey Luke, I have this incredible story. I ran into Jesus in the desert, though I never saw him. I knew that was him. He didn't say it was him. Uh well, I asked who it was and after I called him the Lord, and then he said it was him. So and they come back and tell that to Luke. If Luke is gonna write it down, scribe it, whoever's gonna write it down and scribe it, they're gonna write it as the person told them whether that's how it happened or not. So if they're writing now what Saul says happened to him, they're going to say, and then Saul, this happened to Saul, and then Saul said Jesus told him this, whether Jesus is the one telling him that or not, if that makes sense to you. The reporter is just writing down what was told them, whether that was actually what happened or not. Um, so anyway, the, he's been given instructions now, this other disciple, Ananias, by Jesus. Again, how he knows Jesus either, have no clue since it's according to the gospels he wasn't one of the disciples yet 
he seems to write, except that it's Jesus giving him the instruction and telling him what to do. Verse 11, so the Lord said to him, arise and go to the street called Straight. Um, did we read that? And inquire at the house of Judas, the one called Saul of Tarsus for the Holy Spirit. So yeah, we did read that. So he's been given the instruction to go meet Saul, basically, and where it's going to happen. Verse 12, and in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. So the vision that Ananias is given is an instructive one letting him know to go meet Saul and basically restore his vision for him and that he's going to be anticipating you because he's already been given the heads up too. So let's see. Verse 13, then Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from, my, from many about this man, how much harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. So Ananias is in his vision, apparently, having conversation with God. It's credit to Jesus since it's in red letters and telling Jesus that he's heard about Saul's reputation as a terrorist of the Christian church. Verse 14. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. And so Ananias is letting Jesus know the update, the bulletin, that, hey, anybody who calls on your name publicly is subject to arrest by that same one who you're sending him to, Saul. Verse 15, but the Lord said to him, go, for he's a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles kings and the children of Israel. So, according to the narrative, Jesus is giving Ananias directives to go and meet Saul, and that Saul has a specific mission in the big picture of things. Verse 16. One last thing. Again, Jesus said when he comes again, everyone's going to know it. Why would he be doing these secret meetings with these people, giving them messages when they weren't even part of the original 12 disciples, and on top of that, Paul, Saul, for one, was a terrorist to the church, to the disciples. Let's keep reading, though. Verse 16, For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. So, according to the vision, um, Ananias is being told that Saul is a chosen one, and he's going to suffer for Christ's sake, and he's um, it's all being revealed to him. Verse 17, And Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So, uh, if someone came to Saul, and when Ananias showed with that message to him, it was probably very convincing for him, for him to be able, for Ananias to know his movements, for him to have known that he was on the road and the message that he got, and then for the person of the message to show up to him and perform what the messenger told him would happen would have to probably be pretty astounding for Saul and pretty faith affirming. Let's see, verse 18, immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales and he received his sight at once and he arose and was baptized. So uh, in that moment, it seems Saul received uh, healing for his vision and um, got baptized. Now, I seem to recall later on that he still has vision problems that he can't see and he writes things really big. Uh, could be wrong. It's been a long time since I read anything beyond Acts chapter 2. So, um, I mean, at Revelation, obviously, but 
So it could be wrong, so I won't dwell on that. But it seems he's gotten his reason back in that moment at the um, hand of Ananias, but really the power of God, at least according to the narrative. And he got baptized, verse 19. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. And Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. So now Saul has been baptized. He's eating. He's got his vision back. And now he's hanging out with the disciples in Damascus, which is in Syria. So the disciples aren't in Jerusalem anymore. This is way after the ascension. Verse 20. Immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. So, again, we're not having the sermons. We don't know what was actually said for the narrator. Luke, I think, again, or whoever it is, the scribe of Acts, is giving us the narrative of what's happening in that Paul's been baptized and he's preaching Christianity. Verse 21, Then all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on this name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose? so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests. So the people are wondering, wait a minute, isn't that the same one who was terrorizing the Christians? So why is he now? He's going about uh, evangelizing to people. The people are confused. Verse 22, but Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who, were dwell who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. So the people are confused by him because he recently was a, a, a terrorist. Now he's going around being an evangelist. So the people are confused. And again, we don't have any script of what it is he's actually preaching. We just It just says he's going around preaching Christ. And again, if you look around now, there's lots of churches that and institutions that go under the umbrella of Christianity, the name Christianity. But they don't actually teach or preach Christianity at all. They're extremely far from Christianity. They teach things like black people are black from being cursed from uh, the Old Testament, uh, from uh, Noah's sons, mess like that. That's not even in the Bible, not even, even biblical, not even righteous, and yet they call it Christianity under the umbrella. So similarly, without, having act, without actually seeing the scripts of what it is, not just Saul, but also the disciples were saying, we can't know for sure that they're actually preaching Christianity actually preaching genuine Christianity. They're preaching Christ. Yes, that Christ came to bring us salvation, but they may not necessarily be teaching the gospel, preaching and sharing the gospel. Instead, they're just sharing the knowledge of the message of the possibility for salvation. Verse 23, now after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. So now, um, Saul's not so popular, and they want to kill him. Verse 24, but their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. So, I mean, they're the religious authorities, but just like with Jesus and others, they're plotting to kill people. Even though they have the commandment, thou shalt not kill. You see, just like in modern times, preachers are salivating at the death penalty, salivating at war, and just licking at the chops at, at, at someone at death at someone's dying at people burning in hell at all of that, those sort of destructive things of lives being ended people in the pulpit seem excited about them verse 25 then the disciples took him by night and led him down through the wall in 
a large basket. So Saul got wind that they were trying to kill him, and the disciples helped him escape. So, um, again, the disciples have taken him in as now another disciple. We don't know what he's preaching. We don't know what he's saying. And he didn't walk with Jesus, so he's almost certainly not preaching any red letters. But he is letting people know that Christ was here. Verse 26, And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. I'm with the disciples. I agree with them. They shouldn't have trusted him. I wouldn't have trusted him. But it seems some of them, I think, wisely didn't trust him, even though he's trying to now blend in with them. Verse 27, But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. And he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road, and that he had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So there you have it. No one else witnessed it. It's Paul saying, it's Saul saying that he saw Jesus. It's Saul saying he got that message from Jesus. And he's got someone, another new person, Barnabas. Again, not one of the original disciples either. Uh, carrying on a new message saying, oh, no, no, he's good, he's good. He's one of y'all too. He's been preaching too. We have no proof of that. Only what they're saying. Verse 28. So he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out. So just like that, they took the word of Barnabas and Saul's word, and they allowed Saul to join in with the ministry. The thing Jesus warned them and us about, to take heed, don't be deceived. Many will come in my name, saying that they're Christian, saying that they're Christ. They're not. And yet, just like that, they've been taken in. Verse 28. I'm sorry, verse 29. And he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists, for they attempted to kill him. So Saul's steady talking boldly. Again, we don't know what he's saying. He's almost certainly not saying any red letters, but whatever he's saying is inflaming people. So almost certainly he's upsetting people and they're conflating what he's saying with Christianity. So whether it's Christian a Christian message or not, people are getting ticked off at the Christians. And the Hellenists, if I remember right, they're um, uh, Jewish people who uh, are the are the diaspora in Greece. Um, they're not happy with him either. Verse 30, when the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. So the disciples rescued him again. Saul's making enemies and people trying to kill him. And the disciples are rescuing him again and again. I think possibly to their own um, demise, because he's not, as far as I can tell, on the same page at all. Verse 31, then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. So, nice little verse, summing up where we're at to this point, um, in a narrative form, not in a... a um, not in a blow-by-blow -blow form, sort of just an overview uh, version that the churches are growing um, and the Holy Spirit is moving through them to help multiply members to the new Christian church that's forming. Verse 32, now it came to pass as Peter went through all parts of the country that he also came down to the saints who dwelt in Lydia. So now you have people being referred to as saints, not just Christians, but saints, not elect, 
saints. Um, so presumably they're Christians there in that area. And Peter, the same fisherman, Simon Peter, disciple who denied Jesus three times, Peter, has made his way to them. Verse 33, there he found a certain man named Annas, Annas, who had been bedridden eight years and was paralyzed. So Peter's encountered a paralyzed person. Verse 34, and Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus the Christ heals you. Arise, make your bed. Then he arose immediately. So now it seems Peter is flexing the powers of healing um, in the name of Jesus. And he's healed the person who's paralyzed. And just like that, he's gotten up immediately. Verse 35, so all who dwell at Lydia, Alida, excuse me, and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. So the miracle of healing is enough um, to convince a lot of people to become Christians that Peter did with just that one person. Verse 36, at Joppa, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. So now you have uh, a female, a woman being introduced uh, with righteous acts in another area um, named Joppa. What happens there? Verse 37, but it happened in those days that she came, became sick and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. So um, Tabitha has passed away and she's been washed and prepped for burial, basically laying in an upper room. Verse 38, and since Lita was near Joppa and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent two men to him, imploring him not to delay in coming to them. So um, the people in Lita have heard that Peter is nearby. So they've sent him presumably for an intercession with what's happened to, um, to um, Dorcas. Verse 39, then Peter arose and went with them. When he had come, they brought him to the upper room, and all the widows stood by him weeping, showing the tunics and garments which Dorcas had made while she was with him. So um, it's her funeral party, basically, gathering around, uh, mourning her uh, when Peter shows up. Verse 40, but Peter put them all out and knelt down and prayed, and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. So just like that, even Peter is performing a resurrection. Uh, obviously, the power of Jesus, he's resurrected child Tabitha, who passed away. And as always, please forgive me if I mispronounce any of these. Verse 41, then he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and widows, he presented her alive. So much like Jesus, when he... Uh, performed a similar miracle of resurrecting a little child and telling her, Talitha Kumi, little girl arise. Now Peter's telling someone named Tabitha instead, Talitha, Tabitha, to arise, and she's arisen. Um, and he's presenting her alive to her family. Uh, verse 42, and it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed on the Lord. So that miracle uh, went viral, and people found faith in hearing it. Verse 43. So it was that he stayed many days in Joppa with Simon a Tanner. So yet another Simon is being introduced. There was Simon Peter, who's 
just performed a miracle or, you know, miracle performed in his hand. There's Simon the sorcerer that we read about in the previous chapter. And now there's another Simon, a tanner. Um, and if I remember right, that's the person who deals with animal skins, basically. Um, so now he's staying with him um, many days, it seems. Um, uh, that's the last verse in this chapter, though. So that's where we're in this part of the reading. And we'll move on to our passage of the day, which is actually before we do the passage of the day, let's move over to our gospel, our red letters of the day. Um, that's Matthew chapter five. That's where we'll pick up there and we'll do the first clause, the first uh, verses, verses one through uh, 12. And as you can see from the title there, they're called the Beatitudes. So if you want to read along with me with those, let's begin with Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain. And when he was seated, his disciples came to him. So the hymn we're talking about is Jesus. He's got a multitude of people following him, listening eagerly to what it is he has to say. Verse 2, then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, So now Jesus is on the mountainside, and he's teaching the people willing to listen. Verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus is basically saying, God bless you if you're down in heart, in your spirit. Um, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Presumably, I think because when you're down, that's when you look for higher things. You look up, you're hoping for some help from somewhere above you. Maybe that's why um, the kingdom of heaven is belongs to the poor in spirit. Uh, verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So mourning, obviously, who hasn't lost someone and going through the mourning, um, that sort of mourning. Um, Jesus is saying, God bless you if you're going through that mourning, because you're going to be comforted. Verse 5, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The meek would be, um, I think, let me see, what are the meek? How do they actually define the meek? I think of the meek as people who are humble, not haughty, not uh, prideful. Let me just see what exactly does meek mean. Meek is quiet, gentle, and easily in, easily imposed on, submissive. That's the Merriam-Webster Webster dictionary uh, definition of it. So that sounds about right. Um, the meek, the, um, yeah, not someone boastful and proud, opposite of that. Um, God bless them. Um, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. So if what it is you are uh, hungry for, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, on a daily basis, seeking the daily bread that you're going after, that we're going after, if it's righteousness, I think Jesus is saying, God bless you. Because if you're seeking righteousness like you seek your food, you'll find it. And you're going to be filled. We're going to be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. So, um, mercy, compassion, giving some people, giving people a break, cutting some slack. If you're willing to give people that uh, benefit of the doubt, then you'll get it back. If you show some mercy, you'll receive some mercy. Verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So, 
a pure heart. The only ones I can think of that would have a pure heart. At first, what comes to mind are um, people who are on the spectrum who may not be able to know right from wrong and um, do things like that and may not, they don't know that it's wrong for them to you know, take off their clothes or flash themselves in front in public, that sort of stuff, maybe. But I think even more pure in heart would be the babies, the aborted or the stillborns or the ones who die uh, prematurely or really, really young before they have a chance to know right and wrong. I think that would be the pure in heart. But that's just my opinion. Um, Jesus is saying, is saying the part not to overlook is the last part of verse 8 is for they shall see God. Letting us know not everyone sees God. People keep telling you the absent from the flesh is to be present with the Lord because there's a scripture that says it. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus gives us the example, and it's not a parable in Luke 16. But two people died. One went to hell, specifically went to hell, to the flames. Not to God, not to heaven. And the other one went um, to another place of rest, but not to heaven, and also not to God. And yet, people preach otherwise. And Jesus is saying right here, the pure in heart, that's who's going to see God. So there's not going to be you passed away and you're the judgment day and you're in front of God or great white throne judgment. All of that stuff is religion. And it's making, and the more and more we read it, it's making it seem more and more to me like a lot of revelation is man's uh, interpretations and not at all divine. Uh, again, that great white throne judgment stuff is in revelation. Jesus didn't say that at all in the gospels. And here it is here. Jesus is making it clear. The pure in heart, that's who's going to see God. Not you when you die for your judgment day, no matter how wicked you are or no matter how nice and good you are. Um, that's not what Jesus, it's, that's not what happens according to what Jesus is telling us. But as always, believe what you want. Verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. So it seems Jesus is saying, God bless you if you're a person who pursues peace. Not like these Bible-thumping even evil evangelicals who say they're Christian, but they are always warmongering. Step over homeless people, refuse to pay to house people, refuse to have children have school lunch, refuse all kinds of things, but readily spend billions, billions, not on American citizens, but on people overseas, sending billions repeatedly, billions to Ukraine, to uh, Israel, to all sorts of other places other than right here, not willing to pay the reparations that are already due right here. They could be paid by now. They could have been paid by now. Sending $12 billion to another country that's not even American. It's madness. But it's American. Warmongering constantly. Peacemongering, not so much. Verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus is saying, God bless you if you do righteously, act righteously, and you get persecuted for it. God willing, we fall into that category. One last thing before we move on. Some preachers will say that blessed should be translated happy. That doesn't make sense. Why would you be happy if you're, let's back it up to see. Couldn't possibly be happy with verse 4. Happy are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. No, that doesn't even make sense. Blessed are those. It's not, to me, it doesn't mean the same thing. But it's always, believe what you want. Let's keep reading. Um, 
verse uh, 11. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. So if they're saying nasty things about you and it's true, that's a different story. But if they're saying nasty, evil things about you for Christ's sake, then Jesus is saying, God bless you for that then. Because um, you fall into this category also. Verse 12, rejoice and be exceedingly glad. For great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I don't claim to be a prophet or super duper righteous. But I can tell you when those times come when people do persecute you. Um, for Christianity's sake. Whether they believe you're not worthy to be a Christian. Because you're under the LGBT umbrella. Or because they think they're super holy and can pass judgments like that. In the name of Christianity. Whatever the case may be. When those things happen, it's hard to feel like rejoicing because you feel alone. You feel rejected and you feel outcast. So it's hard to feel comforted and happy in those moments. So um, I think for sure Jesus means God bless you. Not happy are you, but God bless you if you uh, happen to fall into one of these categories. That's what Beatitudes are about to me. Um, but that's the last verse in this passage. So that's where we'll end this part of the reading. And now we'll finish with the passage of the day, which is from the book of John. It's chapter 7, verse 24. It's John 7, 24, and it is red letters. And it's the, it's, do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. So it's Jesus letting us know. He already told us previously Judge not that you be not judged. That's Matthew 7, verse 1. So now here Jesus is in another gospel, John, letting us know judgment is not what it's supposed to be about for us. And when we do judge, don't judge by our eyes. Don't go by appearance. Don't think somebody's cool just because they look like you or they look like what you like to look at. Don't be fooled by that. Judge with righteous judgment. Judge righteously. I would say... Don't just go by what people say. Go by what it is they're doing. Don't just go by what they're doing. Go by what it is they're saying. Judge righteously. Treat people the way you want to be treated. Treat people, act the way people, treat people the way you want to be treated. Speak to people the way you want to be spoken to. And don't judge. Uh, some preachers will twist it, even this, and it seems innocent. They'll say, oh, don't judge. Only God is the judge. But that's another lie. Jesus tells us very plainly, very clearly, the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. You don't have to take my word for it. Search it and see. You'll see for yourself. But um, that's where we'll end this reading. As always, thank you for joining me for the Make It True. Hope it's a blessing for you and that you'll join me again. And hope you're ready for Christmas. It's right around the corner. Love you. Happy holidays to you. And see you next time. Peace be with you.